0: expensive part-time smart employees. Step three, interview. Discover whether the interviewers are responsible, why they left their last job, whether they can take directions, if they have ever been fired, why they want this job, and the qualifications for the position. Also, as much as you want someone who meets your qualifications, do not overlook their personality and how well you may or may not get along. Be sure to get references and resumes. Remember, since you cannot discriminate in hiring because of race, gender, color, national origin, religion, finances, or disabilities, any questions along these lines should be avoided. Concentrate on job-related questions. Coachability. It is hard to underestimate just how important the employer hiring process is. A good employee may be a new profit center or simply another pair of valuable hands, selling, helping, assisting clients, and boosting morale. On the other hand, the wrong person can steal, create havoc, anger customers, and hurt sales. Worse, if you fire him, the unscrupulous employee might even sue for wrongful termination, that is, illegal termination, even though you were legally and morally correct in letting him go. You cannot be too careful, therefore, when interviewing potential employees. Of course, honesty, intelligence, skill, and affability are important. You can garner much of that information from resumes, references, and interviews. Knowing what people did in the past is a pretty good indication of what they will do in the future. Really, that is rather standard stuff. Most small business owners have a pretty good sense of what they want and are looking for in an employee. You know about checking references. However, one area that is often overlooked is something I call coachability, and it is vital to making a smart hire. Coachability is the ability of an employee to take directions and make changes, to listen and adjust, and to think and respond. Just as not everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur, so too not everyone is cut out to be an employee. Running a small business and hiring the right employees is like running a sports franchise. There are good teammates and bad teammates. There are employees who make everyone around them better and those who hog the ball. And just as in sports, having uncoachable employees can ruin your team. You have to stock your business with employees who are willing to do things your way, who listen, who can take constructive criticism, and who are willing to try new things and who are adaptable and positive, who are coachable. So, when interviewing those prospective employees, be sure to find out what kind of teammate they have been and will probably be. As much as skill and smarts, their coachability can make or break your season. The New Employee Whenever you hire new employees, there are several agreements that you may want to consider having them sign. The first three are discussed in Chapter 21, Legalese 2, but as a reminder, they are A reasonable non-compete agreement if the employee might learn things that can be used against you later. A non-disclosure agreement to prevent employees from disclosing confidential trade secrets. An assignment of inventions or work-for-hire agreement if the employee will be involved in creative endeavors. You should also consider having an employment contract, as it can be a good way to memorialize your agreement with the employee. It is critical that that contract state clearly and boldly words to the effect that nothing in this agreement is intended to guarantee employment or alter the fact that the name of the employee is an at-will employee. This document can help clarify your relationship with the employee, but may also be an important defense in any future litigation. The agreement might cover compensation, This section details the employee's base salary and benchmarks for bonuses and commissions. Job description. Here explain in detail what is expected of the employee, her hours, duties, sales quotas, everything. Be expansive and explain that other responsibilities may be added later on. Benefits. Your benefits package should be explained. You should reserve the right to change the benefits plan. Stock options. If you offer stock options as part of your benefits or incentive program, the process by which they are attained and exercised needs to be explained. Arbitration Litigation is expensive and many employers have mandatory arbitration clauses in their employment agreements. Immigration status The employee needs to verify that she is a citizen of the United States or has a proper work visa. If you do decide to have some sort of employment contract, go over it with your lawyer, then both you and your employee need to sign the contract and you should keep a signed copy in a safe and secure place. Consider also having an employee handbook that explains important policies and procedures, such as workplace safety, anti-discrimination policies, how complaints are handled, discipline, sick leave, and vacation policies. This handbook should also reiterate that employees are considered at will. If you have 50 or more employees, you are required to abide by the Family and Medical Leave Act. The FMLA mandates that eligible employees be given up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave during any 12-month period for the birth of a new child, the adoption of a new child, to care for the health of an immediate family member with a serious health problem, or to take care of their own serious health issue. Learning from new employees. If you are a good employer, you do a lot of listening. Employees are one of your very best resources for learning how to improve your business. They will see things that you missed. However, on the totem pole of valued employees, the newer employee usually is near the bottom. That may be a mistake as new employees especially can give you a perspective other, more entrenched employees lack or lost. So, after an employee has been with you for a few months, consider giving her a survey to fill out. The results will probably be illuminating. For example, your survey might look like this. 1. Name. 2. Position. 3. Please describe your job. 4. What are the most important things you do in your job? 5. What is the best part of your job? 6. What is the worst part? 7. What would you change about your job? 8. Does the job reflect what you were told during the hiring process? 9. What improvements could be made to our hiring process? It just isn't working. You may be tempted to have a probationary period of, say, six months when you hire new employees. You should avoid this. Why? Because by creating a probationary period, you are implying that different rules apply before and after the probation. You do not want that. You should have one set of rules for everyone, whether it is their first day or tenth year. You may also be tempted to fire someone immediately when things go wrong. It is far better and helps you avoid litigation if you document problems first. Yes, it is true that an at-will employee can be fired at any time, but creating a paper trail can only help you. Document every transgression in writing, giving the employee a letter explaining what they are doing wrong, what they can do to reverse course, and have them sign it. Remember, you cannot fire without repercussion any employee, because of discrimination, retaliation, or if they have a long-term contract. To avoid an ugly and expensive wrongful termination suit, here is a checklist of things to consider before terminating an employee. Of course, not all items will apply to all employees. But this does give you an idea of issues to consider prior to firing. 1. Analyze whether the problem is the fault of the employee or your business procedures If it is how your business is run, firing someone will not solve the problem. 2. Make sure that you have documented the employee's transgressions in writing. 3. If you have a grievance or complaint procedure, be sure that it has been followed. 4. Determine whether similar employees have been treated similarly to the employee in question. Disparate treatment equals litigation. 5. If the employee is a member of the protected class, handicapped, a minority, older, be sure that the reason for the termination is valid and double check to make sure the problems with the employee have been documented. 6. Make sure the employee is not being fired in retaliation for exercising a legal right. 7. Make sure the employee does not have a contract for continued employment either written or implied. If you determine that firing the person is required, it has been found that it is best to do so in the morning usually midweek, although late on Friday afternoon, may work well too. Break the news in the employee's office or a conference room and endeavor to do so gently. Make it brief and dignified. If you are concerned that the employee might become violent, have a security guard ready nearby. Hire one for the day if needed. The opposite of an at-will employee is a just-cause employee. Employees with long-term employment contracts, such as a tenured teacher, are just cause employees. Just cause employees may be legally terminated only if you have, well, a just cause. Just cause reasons may include illegal behavior, excessive absenteeism, insubordination, sexual harassment, or serious incompetence. Firing a just cause employee requires investigation, notice, and hearings. After the employee has left the premises, you may need to change the locks or the access code if he had security clearance. Finally, write a disengagement letter to the ex-employee after he has gone, handling any necessary housecleaning matters and reiterating what happened in the termination meeting. A necessary part of small business, letting employees go, can and should be done in a way that minimizes your risk chapter 27 employee benefits demystified a man to carry on a successful business must have imagination he must see things as in a vision a dream of the whole thing that's a quote by charles schwab people work for many reasons compensation being but one if you are to create and sustain a successful small business take into account the many things people want out of work From the noble, the desire to make a difference, to the mundane, to get health insurance, work means different things to different people. While pay will be the main way you compensate them for a job well done, it is by no means the only way. In this chapter, a smorgasbord of benefit options is offered for your consideration. What is required? By law, you are required to give employees only certain benefits, although they are probably not what you think you must pay them at least the prevailing minimum wage, provide workers' compensation insurance, withhold and match FICA taxes, pay unemployment taxes, have employees work no more than 40 hours a week or pay overtime unless they are exempt employees, give employees time off to serve in the military, on a jury, or to vote. You are not required to give employees benefits such as bonuses, health insurance, paid vacations, sick leave, retirement plans, stock options, life insurance, Christmas, New Year's, or other legal holidays off. Of course, while you are not required to offer such benefits, if you want to create a place where people want to work, a place that is special, a place that engenders loyalty, you must provide some or all of the benefits just listed. The quality of your benefits package is definitely something employees will look at when deciding whether yours is a place where they would want to work. And since the quality of the employees you attract has a direct impact on the quality of your business and the quality of your bottom line, offering a full benefits package is an important criterion to consider, albeit an inexpensive one. Bonuses. Money is a mighty motivator. Offering bonuses, therefore, can be a valuable incentive. Bonuses can be structured in two ways. First, individual employees can be given benchmarks to hit and a sliding scale bonus can be offered as the employee hits each goal. But because this sort of system usually works best mainly with sales staff, the other sort of bonus plan may work better company-wide. Under the second system, goals for the entire business are communicated to all employees, and as the company hits these goals, a pool of bonus money is created. Each goal reached fills the pool more, and at the end of the year, the pool is divided equally Goals could be sales, or reduced overhead, or less shrinkage. Shrinkage is a reduction in inventory caused by accounting error, employee theft, customer shoplifting, administrative error, and or vendor fraud or mistake. There are several advantages to this system. First, it helps teach your employees about business, and the more they know, the less likely they are to waste. Secondly, it gives everyone a stake in the outcome not just your salespeople. Third, it creates a sense of teamwork and helps employees feel invested in the business. Stock options and ownership. Another trait shared by the great, most successful small business is that they often give employees a stake in the business, an ownership share. Rather than it being just another place to work and draw a salary, a small business that an employee partially owns makes that employee a committed entrepreneur. As a result, they usually are more motivated, more dedicated, and more conscientious. Moreover, the possibility that the business could hit it big and thereby make the employee rich is another powerful motivator. At one time, during its late 1990s Internet heyday, Amazon.com was trading on the Nasdaq for almost $600 a share. It turned ordinary employees into instant millionaires, if they sold at the right time. These days, the stock is back down to earth, trading at less than hundred dollars. There are three types of stock ownership plans. One, with a stock option plan, your business would award the option in to buy a company stock at a specified price, and the employee then has a certain amount of time to exercise the option and become a part owner of the company. Approximately 10 million employees in business, both public and private, hold stock options at any one time. Two, An Employee Stock Ownership Plan, ESOP, is a sort of retirement plan akin to a 401 but instead of creating a diversified portfolio with an ESOP, the retirement funds are invested in the stock of the employer. Under this scenario, the company contributes cash to buy its own stock, usually from the owner, which is then shared among the employees. There are significant tax benefits available under this plan. It is estimated that about 8 million employees invest in ESOPs. 3. An employee stock purchase plan (ESPP) allows employees to buy stock at a discount, usually around 15%. The employee can either sell the stock for a profit or hold on to it. For more information on creating some sort of employee stock ownership plan, contact the National Center for Employee Ownership at 510-208. One three zero zero, or at nceo.org. Other Retirement Plans For employers and employees alike, the most popular employer-sponsored retirement plan is the 401k, as contributions are tax-deductible for employers and tax-deferred for employees. Participation is optional, although employees today know they need to fund their own retirement and usually appreciate the opportunity to do so. You, the small business owner, must decide whether you can afford to match funds contributed by the employees. It is expensive to match employee contributions dollar for dollar, even if they are tax-deductible. Investments made by the 401k contributions can be made by employees or by the plan administrator. Know, however, that with a 401k, the more options you give your employees, the more expensive administration will be expect administration costs to be at least a thousand dollars a year as reports must be filed with the IRS, the Department of Labor, plan participants and so forth. To set up a 401k plan or some other tax deferred retirement plan as outlined in Chapter 20 Legalese 1, you need to speak with the financial planner or your accountant. Health Insurance. Employees consistently rank health insurance as among the most important benefits supplied by an employer. The problem for the small business person is that the cost of insuring your employee continues to rise at frightening rates. Moreover, unlike large businesses that have the ability to at least partially pass on or absorb increases, small businesses have neither luxury. So what to do? There are options but no great answers. In all honesty, Too many options for reducing your health care costs while still providing employees with coverage involve cutting benefits or shifting costs onto your employees. While that may help you keep costs down, it doesn't make for a happy workplace. The first and easiest thing to do is shop around. There are all sorts of plans to choose from with varying degrees of costs and coverage. Online eHealthInsurance.com is a good site for comparing health plans. You should also speak with your insurance agent or broker. The plan you bought a few years ago may have a cheaper alternative today. Remember that an insurance broker can shop your needs to many different providers, whereas an agent works exclusively with one company. By shopping, you can compare quotes for scores of different plans. Options. Your basic options are these. The traditional health insurance. This type of insurance allows employees to pick any doctor or specialist they want. They need to first meet the deductible and there is usually a cap on out-of-pocket expenses. This is the most flexible and most expensive sort of plan. Health maintenance organizations. HMOs direct employees to providers within the system. Their primary care physician is the gateway to all other medical care. Copays are small and meeting deductibles is usually not a requirement. Preferred provider organization. A PPO allows employees to see any health provider they want, but if they choose a doctor outside the system, their copays are higher. Point of service. With a POS plan, as with an HMO, your staff has a small copay and are encouraged to see doctors in the network. If they go outside the network, they must meet a deductible and also pay a percentage of the fee. There are two relatively new healthcare options on the block that you should also consider. Health Savings Accounts – HSAs are like IRAs for medical care, with two parts. The first is a health insurance policy that covers expensive hospital bills. The second is that employees can contribute money tax-free into an interest-bearing investment account in which the money deposited can be withdrawn tax-free for medical care. If employees do not need to use the money they save, the money accumulates with a tax-free interest until retirement when they can withdraw it for any purpose. To learn more, go to www.hsainsider.com. Health Purchasing Alliance. Here, instead of joining one health plan, employees join an alliance of many health plans, all of which are being jointly administered. Because all are competing for your health care dollars, you get the best possible prices and are able to shop for various coverage options in one place. Finally, you should find out whether your business may be eligible with discounted health care plans from an association. Chambers of Commerce often offer this, as do trade associations. Alternatives A few other things you can do to reduce your small business health care costs are first, consider cutting back on the extent of your plan. If, for example, your plan offers dental and vision, you may have to cut those. Unpleasant, yes, but at least your employees will still be covered in the areas where it really counts. No, I certainly do not enjoy advising you to cut employee benefits, but I also understand that health care costs are a major concern for many small businesses, and cutting benefits is better than cutting jobs. Also, if you have a plan that requires copays, as most do these days, you can reduce your premiums by increasing employee copays. The higher the copay, the lower your premium. Similarly, you can increase prescription copays by increasing the amount your employees pay for their prescriptions. You can again reduce your premiums. Whatever you choose to do, it has to be thoughtful and maybe even something you decide with your employees. Because health care is so important, you must weigh carefully your need to rein in costs against your employees' needs for adequate health care. Holidays, sick leave, and vacation. Time off for holidays, sick leave and vacation days are not rights that employees have but benefits you offer. According to the Fair Labor Standards Act, you are not required to give paid time off for holidays, sick days or vacation days. But just because you do not have to be a good employer, it does not mean that you should not. If you want to recruit great people, you have to create a great place to work. And this is the one place to start. The traditional method. Small businesses usually set up a leave policy whereby employees get X number of days for sick days and Y number of days for holidays and so forth. You simply decide on how many each employee will get a year, whether they will be paid days or not, put the leave policy in writing and let everyone know. Typically, new employees usually get about 16 days off per year allocated evenly between vacation days and sick days. Most employees expect a paid week or two off per year. Most employers provide paid holidays for New Year's Day, Memorial Day, the Fourth of July, Labor Day, Thanksgiving Day, and Christmas Eve and Night. When it comes to other religious holidays, the norm is to allow employees to take them off without pay or to allow employees to use vacation days. Most small businesses also allow about four days off paid to attend to a death in the family. Innovative Options Consider this new idea. Pool these various type of days off into a bank of hours that employees can use as they see fit. For example, instead of giving employees 11 holidays and 5 vacation days a year, you might decide instead to give everyone 100 hours a year off to use how and when they want. This sort of plan has many benefits. First, it promotes honesty. Employees could schedule days off without having to call in sick, Also, it respects employees as adults, in effect telling them that you trust them and you assume they know best how to balance their lives and work. Employees are responsible for their choices for using their time off. They may use half a day here, a full day there, a week for vacation, save it for six days, or just save it to be used later. Some employers allow employees who bank more than, say, 75 hours to cash in the extra hours for money at their current rate of pay. Another innovative option is the Flex Holiday Plan. At the beginning of the year, you create a list of major holidays. There could be 25 or more. Everything from Christmas Day to St. Patrick's Day, Kwanzaa or President's Day should be on the list. Employees then can select any 11. This plan also respects employees as adults and allows them to decide what is important. Intangible Benefits Benefits can take many forms. Aside from offering options like health and retirement plans, you can create policies that will be appreciated by your staff. Policies that are every bit a benefit as money. For instance, your small business could be family-friendly, allowing employees to leave when family commitments arise, during soccer season maybe. You could welcome their children when they come to the store. You could offer job sharing so that a new mom can have her job and her baby too. What else could you do to make your workplace better? The great thing about innovative policies is that employees appreciate them almost as much as anything else you offer. Yet the policies may not cost nearly as much as those other expensive benefit packages. Chapter 28, Training and Motivating Your Staff Help me help you. That was a quote by Jerry Maguire. Some employees are hired, trained a bit, and expected to do their jobs competently. Others are hired, trained properly, expected to do their jobs competently, and training continues. Whom do you think will be more effective? Right. Yet even so, it is understandable when a small business owner fails to properly train her employees. After all, training takes time, and time is probably our most precious commodity. All small business owners are guilty of making the mistake of spending too much time working in our business rather than on our business. It is so easy to get so lost in the day-to-day miniature of our business that we miss the big picture. Training and motivating employees is one way to counteract that, ensuring that your plans and visions are being carried out, even when you are busy doing other things. Training. Good training creates better employees. It might be as simple as explaining a new policy and showing employees how to implement it, or it might be a several weeks long process in which employees learn something new. Either way, adequately training your staff is vital to the continued success of your small business. Nancy Clark owns two retail dance apparel stores, so it is physically impossible for her to be at both places at once. Accordingly, she is a big believer in proper training. She spends up to a month training new employees before allowing them to work on their own. During the training period, which she conducts during regular store hours, Clark makes sure new employees learn everything from opening and closing procedures to knowing the merchandise to operating the cash register. Clark trains her staff from the ground up so that when something arises, the employee is able to handle it. Thorough training creates knowledgeable staff, and that, in turn, Creates a well-run business," says Clark. To be most effective, begin training employees the day they start work and cover everything they need to know. By creating a training process that covers all the bases, you create better employees, which in turn allows you to concentrate less on problems and more on the areas of the business you enjoy. Your initial training can cover many things such as philosophy, employees should understand your way of doing business, brand, Teach your employees what your business is all about and what you want the company personality to be. Policies. Explain overtime, vacation, sexual harassment, workplace safety, and other policies. Operations. Show them how to operate the alarm, the lights, the point of sale system, the computer, and so on. Explain how to restock the shelves, how to handle a complaint, and other similar issues. Expectations. Employees need to be taught what you expect of them. At Long and Levitt, a law firm on the West Coast, new lawyers were not only trained in the essentials, but every day for an hour they were given a workshop in basic civil litigation. The crash course was unique in that it rapidly accelerated the new attorney's ability to contribute to the firm. By training their lawyers properly from the start, by teaching them not only how to be good employees, but how to be better lawyers, too, the firm helped the bottom line. Many small businesses spend the bulk of their training on the one issue that is both the most important and often the hardest for employees. Sales. Because sales are so important, issues beyond training are covered in the next chapter. Extraordinary sales and exemplary customer service. Sales training not only gives employees a valuable skill, but is equally a chance to teach your troops your way of doing business. Among the things to cover in your sales training, attitude. As your staff to be friendly, chatty, professional, reserved, or what? Some small businesses want their employees to be aggressive. Others want them to be almost invisible. What say you? Products. Employees need to learn about your product line, why you sell what you do, how it ties in with what you are trying to accomplish, and how that fits the needs of customers. Money. How should they handle cash sales, credit cards, and checks? Operations how to handle returns, refunds, and so on. One of the best ways to train new employees in the art of sales is to have them shadow your best salesperson for a few days. Ongoing training. If employees want more out of work than just a paycheck, what are those things? One of them, to be sure, is additional skills. Today's workforce is so mobile and forward-looking that one of the best things you can do to create a semblance of loyalty is to train employees well and add to their skill set. By so doing, you will increase your employee retention rate and also create a better business. Inc. Magazine puts it this way. Make train to retain your company mantra. Beyond retention, there is much more to be gained by adopting an ongoing training program. You create a stronger, more business-savvy workforce. You build loyalty. You create a stronger bench that is a better pool of people to promote from within. You reduce layoffs rather than letting someone go some additional training may solve the problem and avoid the hassle of having to train someone new from scratch as i have said small businesses can learn plenty from and emulate larger businesses kpmg one of the world's largest accounting firm is dedicated to ongoing training according to its literature our training doesn't stop between the major events of an individual's career we offer an ongoing program to help keep KPMG people sharp and up to speed. These additional training programs include technical updates, industry conferences, and enlabeling skills training. For you, this thorough, comprehensive, and continual training process helps ensure that your skills and abilities always fit perfectly with the teams you join. Ongoing training can take many forms. The most popular are additional computer skills, financial management, technical training for individual occupations, and career path training. None of these need cost a fortune. The California Chamber of Commerce conducted a survey of 100 of the most successful small businesses in that state. One of the questions it asked was this. The real key to business success is hard work and perseverance, fine products and service, advertising, knowing the fundamentals of business, employees, And what was the most popular answer? The last one. Training managers. Not only do regular employees need adequate training, managers do too. Maybe more. Managing people is not something that always comes naturally. So the more you can help them help your staff, the more successful everyone will be. Because managers are already motivated to succeed, they are in the position they are in. But managers do need to be taught how to coach, as essentially that is their job. They need to prod, push, and praise just so in order to bring out the best in their people. How do they do that? Four traits you can teach can help any manager be more successful. One, listen. It is true that Ernest Hemingway was referring to managers when he said most people never listen. Probably not, but he could have been. Managers are wont to talk. Too much, usually. If you can get a manager to listen to what your employees say, they will probably begin to listen to what the manager has to say. Respect breeds respect. 2. Ask. No one likes being told what to do, and this is even truer as employees get older. Managers will get far more from your staff if they avoid the barking orders and ask for help instead. 3. Be reasonable. Of course, a manager has to be assertive and get the job done. But you usually get better results with honey than with vinegar. Four, prioritize. Great leaders set priorities and enlist people around them to get those priorities accomplished. Maybe the best management book ever written was The One-Minute Manager. In it, authors Ken Blanchard and Stuart Johnson explained the value of one-minute goals, one-minute praising, and one-minute reprimands. It works this way. Managers create a one-page set of goals for each employee summarizing the top 20% of tasks for that employee. The employee then gets to work, and the manager follows up consistently, giving either one-minute behavior-based, not personal praise, or one-minute behavior-based reprimands. Both praise and reprimands keep employees going in the right direction. Training techniques. Properly training your staff and managers need not be boring as people learn best when they are engaged. Accordingly, any small business looking to improve its training should consider doing something more than lectures alone. For example, you might try shadowing. As mentioned, sending people into action with already trained employees is a fast way to get someone up to speed. Videos. Because people recall what they see, videotapes can be a very effective training method for employees and managers alike. Videos can teach people how to sell, how to open and close, how to spot and deal with potential theft, how to motivate and so on. Role playing. Staff members can take turns pretending to be the thief or the reluctant customer or the irritated patron. You can then show them the proper way to handle these situations. The internet. Online training is a booming business and convenience and no cost are two reasons. Do a search and discover how many options there are. Review. Have staff contribute botched sales, calls, or success stories to the class to use as examples. The bottom line is that your commitment to training and education can retain employees, help them provide better service, boost morale, and increase sales. All in all, it is a pretty good idea. Motivation. There are two ways to motivate employees, with money, and without money. Money motivators. It's no secret that money motivates employees. Sales contests, offering bonuses, and dangling raises are tried and true ways to motivate people. The benefits package you offer is a similar motivator, which begs the question, why does it take money to motivate an employee? Because the possibility of making more money transforms the employee into an entrepreneur, which is based on the premise that hard work and ingenuity will be rewarded. Isn't that how you think? If I implement that plan, we could increase sales by 10%. Well, that is precisely what an employee thinks when offered a money motivator. If I sell more than anyone else this month, I win that trip to Hawaii. So the secret to motivating with money is to tap into and use this mindset for mutual benefit. First, you can always link an employee's pay to performance. That is exactly how commissioned salespersons work. Similarly, you could link bonuses with desired outcomes. For example, you might offer your director of operations a nice bonus if he can reduce overhead by 10% for the year. A manager might get 10% of any increased revenues for a store for the month. There are many ways to structure such a compensation program. The most important thing when creating a money motivating system is that the reward is linked to an outcome that the employee can control. The director of operations can directly affect overhead but cannot increase sales. So a reward based on increased sales would not work with him. If the reward is based upon overall company performance, the employee will only be motivated to try harder if you can affect overall company performance. As long as the reward and the desired action are linked, the motivation will be there. Contests are a wonderful way to build excitement and create desired behaviors and outcomes. Successful contests use realistic achievable goals, are limited to a short period of time, have desirable prizes, link rewards to performance, and have uncomplicated rules. Motivation on a shoestring. Employees who are disengaged usually have a reason. The Gallup organization's annual survey of employment has found that employees are unmotivated when they do not know what is expected of them, when they feel stagnant in their work and when they do not feel appreciated. People also lose enthusiasm for a job when it becomes boring and routine, when bosses are clueless and when their employer seems to care more about money. Than people, So, if you want to motivate employees without money, the first thing is to engage them. Learn what excites a problem employee work-wise and begin to foster that. This individualized approach is the opposite of what many managers do. Notice a problem and try to fix it. That motivates no one. What motivates people is feeling appreciated as individuals and contributing what they have to offer. There are many simple ways to motivate people to have them feel appreciated without spending a lot of money. Show appreciation. Thanking employees for a job well done is so simple yet so effective. Thanks can take many forms, a pat on the back from a manager, a call from the president, a special parking spot for a week, a night out with your team, increased territory, a massage and facial or a round of golf. FedEx inscribes the names of special employees' children on the nose of New planes to thank the employee for a job well done. How often do you see a plaque naming the employee of the month? Recognize them. Letting everyone else know that someone did a great job works wonders. A survey by the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources found that 68% of employees said that being appreciated was important to their job satisfaction. At Blanchard Training in Escondido, California, praise from customers or managers is reprinted in the company newsletter. What about sending a press release regarding an accomplishment to your trade journal? Ask for input. Listening to employees' ideas and taking them makes people feel like they're part of a team and that what they say makes a difference. At Grumman Corporation in New York, employees whose suggestions are implemented get gift certificates. Felpro of Skokie, Illinois has a yearly drawing for $1,000 for all employees who participated in the Employee Suggestion Program. Offer freebies. Employees who do something above and beyond the call of duty can be given an afternoon off or a gift certificate to Nordstrom's or tickets to a game. At H.B. Fuller Company in St. Paul, employees get a paid day off on their birthday. Mary Kay Cosmetics gives the birthday girl a lunch voucher for two. Make yours a special place to work. What about having a massage therapist come by every other week for a complimentary 15-minute back massage at employees' desks? What about an in-house yoga class? Have a yearly picnic with spouses and children. Organize a rafting trip down the river. None of these cost a lot, but all would be appreciated, and appreciation is motivation. Be creative, take suggestions. Employees are much more motivated when they enjoy their workplace. A few changes can reap tremendous awards. According to Michael LeBouff, author of The Greatest Management Principle in the World, the top 10 rewards for good work are one, money, two, recognition, three, time off, four, ownership shares, five, favorite work, six, promotion, seven, freedom, eight, personal growth, nine, fun, 10. Prizes. Creating an exceptional culture. Training and motivating your staff can take you only so far. At the end of the day what will make a difference is the culture of your small business. All businesses have a culture, some by design, most by default. A negative culture is created by employees who feel unappreciated, by workplaces that are unharmonious, by managers and bosses who are incompetent. On the other hand, If you communicate a sense of direction, of mission, if you foster teamwork and cooperation and fun, you begin to create a positive culture, a place where people want to work. Your corporate culture should be a reflection of your goals and ideas. Creating this sort of culture allows employees to act appropriately, to understand what you are trying to accomplish, and to implement what vision in their own unique way. It gives work meaning, gives employees direction, and in the end, it boosts profits. So how do you create a superior culture? Start by having a mission. The mission statement. We have all seen the mission statement seemingly created by force at some corporate retreat, prominently displayed, cockeyed on some wall somewhere, meaning nothing to no one. But a real mission statement, if done correctly, can actually be a very effective business tool because it tells you, your employees, and your customers just what your business is really all about and where it is supposed to be headed. Knowing your mission also helps everyone know whether their daily activities and policies are helping or hurting their cause, not only keeping you focused, but also helping employees understand what is expected of them. You can create a mission statement by answering the following questions. These have been excerpted with the permission of the Speaking Success System by Bert Dubin the number one speaking success resource in the world, www.SpeakingSuccess.com. What personal values do you want to be embodied in your business? What qualities and characteristics should be best exemplified by your business? What resources are at your disposal? What is your niche? What is your grand vision for your business? Think big. Based upon your values, vision, characteristics, and resources, what is the purpose of your business? Which of your personal qualities do you want to be infused into the business? How can your business best serve your clients, families, employees, and investors? How much money do you want to make? What are your markets? Who are your customers? What is your responsibility and commitment to them? Are you willing to commit to your mission, your vision, your dream? Are you willing to pay the price, whatever that is? Based upon your answers, based upon your values, dreams, plans, niches, resources, and market, draft a mission statement between 50 and 400 words that incorporates any or all of these. Make it large, bold, and fantastic. Something you believe in with all your heart. Surrender to your purpose. Missions and Culture A mission statement that you actually believe in is the first step toward creating a superior corporate culture. Here are six more things you can do to create a valuable business culture. One, have clear goals and values and live by them. Businesses usually set goals, but just as often lose track of them. Successful small businesses, however, have a plan of action that they get the entire team to buy into. Think about what your business values and goals are, and then enlist your people into living them on a daily basis. Your mission statement is a good place to start. Two, communicate. If you communicate what you want and expect, if you listen to what they want and expect, and if you involve employees in decision-making process, people begin to own the results. Communication could be a quarterly state of the business report or it could be a one-on-one meeting devoted to career goals. The important thing is that employees hear what is going on, know where things are headed, and feel free to offer feedback and suggestions. 3. Make employees feel that they are part of a team. A sense of teamwork creates a superior business culture. Go to a game together, help a charity together. At McCormick & Company in Baltimore, employees are encouraged to work one extra Saturday a year for the charity of their choice. They donate their pay for the day to that charity, and the company matches their pay dollar for dollar. 90% of employees participate. Four, reward your staff. This chapter is about rewards. Whether they are big, profit-sharing, or small, a gift certificate, Rewarding employees makes a big difference. 1001 Ways to Reward Employees by Bob Nelson is a great book chock full of easy ways to reward your staff. Five, demand excellence. Demand the best of yourself and look for the best in others. Reward excellence, have fun, do your best, help employees do their best and work together to create results of which to be proud. Six, have fun. The whole point of leaving the corporate world and striking out on your own is to create a business that you love. Sure, it can be serious and stressful and difficult and demanding, but do not lose the forest for the trees. Workplaces where employees are encouraged to do their work and have fun have been shown to be more productive than places where work is everything. See the book Fish, A Remarkable Way to Boost Morale and Improve Results by Stephen C. London to learn more. Finally, Beware of negative influences. Employees who are bored, who are berated, or who are not challenged, who are unhappy, are people who can sabotage your business. They need to get on board or get off the bus. Implementing even a few of these ideas can go a long way toward building a small business that will not only be a great place to work, but will prosper in the process. Chapter 29. Extraordinary Sales and Exemplary Customer Service Every sale has five basic obstacles. No need, no money, no hurry, no desire, no trust. That was a quote by Zig Ziglar. People can make or break your small business. The preceding chapter was about caring for the internal people you work with, your employees. This chapter is about caring for the external people who make your business possible, your customers. If you take care of both constituencies, then small business success is yours. Sales. You probably know a thing or two about sales by now, or you would not still be in business. But even so, sales are one of those areas where even the smallest little trick or new idea, once implemented, can reap surprising rewards. Brian Tracy, maybe the world's best salesperson, tells the story of how his first sales job was selling soap door to door to earn his way to the YMCA camp. He heard rejection after rejection until he oh-so-slightly rephrased his sales pitch. Instead of asking, would you like to buy a box of soap? He said instead that he was selling soap, but that it was only for beautiful women. Thereafter, he says, getting to camp was a breeze. So yes, the smallest sales secret can often make the biggest difference. Let's look at some sales secrets and strategies that may make a difference for you. Rapport. Rapport, once established, will make your sales almost effortless because one of the obstacles mentioned by Zig Ziglar in the opening quote will have disappeared. Lack of trust. Once you create a rapport with someone, he begins to trust you. And with trust, walls and reasons melt away. One sales strategy suggests that if you quietly mimic your customers' intonation and physical movements, you will subconsciously create rapport. This sure does seem sneaky. Consider instead building rapport the old-fashioned way. Be your best self. Find things in common and be friendly and helpful. People rarely buy from someone they do not like and conversely will go out of their way to buy from someone they do. One successful saleswoman says your job is to create rapport. Inform them about the product. Avoid pressuring them. Let them make an intelligent decision and if they leave before buying, make sure they have everything they need. Your phone number, email address, brochures and so forth so they can easily make the purchase later on. One of the best ways to build rapport is to focus on the needs of the customers. They are there wanting to buy for a reason. Customers have needs or wants they think you may be able to fill. If you can focus on those, and if they get what you want really interested in is fulfilling those needs or desires, then the sale becomes exponentially that much easier. Ask questions, and then actually listen to the answer. Salespeople often make the mistake of falling in love with their own voice, convinced that if they spin just one more angle, the sale will be theirs. Actually, the opposite is usually true. If you listen at least as often as you talk, sales usually increase. In fact, master salesman Tom Hopkins says, the human body has two ears and one mouth. To be good at persuading or selling, you must learn to use those natural devices in proportion. Listen twice as much as you talk, and you'll succeed in persuading others nearly every time. When asking questions, keep in mind that... Questions that require a yes or a no answer do not add much either to your knowledge or to your rapport. Questions that relate to price or technical aspects of the product similarly do little to help. Open-ended questions that invite customers to explain their needs and motivation for buying do help. Asking follow-up questions requiring more explanation helps even more. Go the extra mile. Because it costs so much more to create a new customer than to keep an old one, foster your relationships with your current clientele. Do your homework and keep up to date on where your customers are and what they need. A little extra effort into learning about a customer, for instance, by studying trends in their industry or knowing a bit about the competitor, can go a long way toward impressing that customer and keeping her around. Visualize a pickle or olive jar for a second. Think about that first pickle or olive. Getting the first one out of the jar takes some work, right? But once you get the first one out, all the other pickles or olives come out quite easily. So too in sales. Getting that first sale with a customer takes extra work. But once you get it, all subsequent sales with the customer come much easier. Similarly, going the extra mile for potential customers can reel them in. There is the story of the sports agent who flew cross-country just for the chance to have a brief meet-and-greet with the potential client. The sports star was so impressed that he signed up with the agent, concluding that kind of personal service was what he wanted from an agent. Remember, it can take up to six interactions to close a sale. Going the extra mile means being willing to see a potential customer again and again, continuing to build a rapport until the sale is made. Finally, Going the extra mile also means following up. Thank you notes and checking in to see if the product is working out, build rapport for future sales. The moral is that all sales are built on relationships. Cold calls. One of the hardest things to do in sales is to make an effective cold call, precisely because you have not yet established rapport. Here are a few tips to make cold calls easier. Begin with the right attitude. Know that cold calls are not easy, but are valuable. Cold calling requires a competitive spirit. Before calling, smile, to put you in the right frame of mind. Remember that cold calling is a numbers game. Smile and dial, smile and dial. If they balk at setting up a meeting, say something like, All I need is ten minutes of your time. I wouldn't waste my time coming all the way out to see you for ten minutes if I didn't think it would be really benefit for both of us. When asking for an appointment, do not say, Can we meet next week? Instead, be specific. Say something like, How is next Thursday at 11 for you? Golf Lessons If you have ever played even a little golf, you know that the harder you try, the less successful you are. But when you ease off the throttle a bit and trust your natural abilities, when you stop trying so hard, that is when the great shots appear. To a certain extent, the same is true in sales. It's a paradox. Just as you make the great golf shot by not caring about the great golf shot, So too can you get the sale by not worrying about the sale. A customer consents when a sale is your priority and will back off accordingly. But once he is convinced you are more concerned with helping him solve his problem than being more concerned with selling, you will birdie the sale. Stop trying so hard. Solve Problems. If you want to succeed in sales, you will focus on the benefits to the customer, on how your product solves their problem. Do not focus on your product's features. Benefits, not features, is sales 101. When customers come in to buy a drill, what do they really want? They want a hole. The drill's a means to that end, so if you focus on the features of the drill, for example, its aluminum casing, you'll miss the sale. Your customer does not care about your drill's aluminum casing, instead he needs to drill a hole. So if you focus on the benefits to the customer, if you show him how well this drill could solve his need for a hole, the sale is yours. This is true in any sales situation. Sure, the cool functionality of your product is nice, but that alone will not create a sale. Those things come into play only once the customer sees the product benefits him. Once the customer sees that a product like yours can solve his problem, the next question inevitably is, why your product and not someone else's? Once they have settled on this sort of product, people will buy from you if it is in their self-interest. Usually, your product has to be less expensive, faster, more convenient, or of higher quality. The smart salesperson will have several reasons ready when the customer gets to what's in it for me stage. The purpose of a sales meeting is to help your sales staff sell more. Yet too many sales meetings become boring lectures and time wasters. The key to a successful sales meeting is to make it interesting, useful, and positive. Have an agenda and stick to it. Do not ramble. Start by congratulating and thanking them for something. Avoid chastising them. Do not make threats. Keep it upbeat. At least one positive war story should be a part of every meeting. Ask them for their opinions and find out what they are hearing from customers. Attendee participation in some form is a must. Employees want to feel respected. Consider bringing in a customer occasionally to explain why he or she buys from you. Finally, keep the meeting short and sweet. Meet for more than an hour and watch them fade out. Sales Secrets of the Car Salesperson Who better to learn sales from than a car salesperson? Despite their unseemly reputations, car salespeople know how to sell, almost better than anyone else. So do they have some secrets to impart? You bet. To the car salesperson selling is a game. And it's a game they play for a very good reason. It works. The goal of the car sales game is to sell you a car at the highest possible price today. And they do so by enlisting you in their game and by getting you to play by their rules. That is their first valuable lesson. The best salesperson considers selling a game, not a chore. The right attitude can take you far. How is the game played? Using several pre-planned steps. Step 1. The car salesperson gets you to trust her. Car salespeople are nice and friendly because they know that creating rapport with you is essential. Once they create rapport, trust occurs. She then starts to ask seemingly innocent questions, but innocent they are not. In only a few minutes, the salesperson can learn whether you are ready to buy, and if so, how much you have to spend. How much you know about the product. How much you know about the game. Step 2. She starts to get you excited. That small talk and those innocent questions allowed the salesperson to learn some valuable things about you, especially regarding what benefits you think are important. So like Tiger Woods of sales, she usually takes you to a car she thinks you might like And does the walk-around discussing the things she hasn't concluded are probably important to you? Safety, color, roominess, and so on. Next, she invites you to sit in the car. Why is that? There is a phenomenon in the car business called taking mental ownership. The longer you sit in the driver's seat smelling and touching the car, the more invested in the car you become. Some real estate professionals have their own name for this same concept called falling under the ether. Once a real estate agent has learned what a client is looking for, he immediately schedules tours of appropriate properties. Before long, during some walkthrough somewhere, the client usually finds a house he or she loves and becomes invested in owning it. They have fallen under the ether. Step 3. This is critical. The salesperson gets you emotionally invested in the car. How does she do that? You know. She asks you if you want to take a test drive. Test driving a car is fun and exciting. The salesperson knows that when you get excited about a car, you'll be more apt to make an emotional rather than a logical decision. Sure, the car may be nice, and yes, it may be the one you want. But even so, making a $20,000 decision based on a 10-minute test drive is illogical. Yet it happens every day because car salespeople get patrons excited about the purchase. Step 4. Create a sense of urgency. Maybe you are told, the boss wants this car off the lot, so a special deal is available, or someone is coming by this afternoon to look at it again. You would be foolish not to buy now. Yes, some car salesmen are too pushy, but not all are, and most know what they are doing. By playing the game to some extent, they sell cars. Lots of cars. So you might want to learn the game, too. It's as simple as creating rapport, finding out what the customer wants, getting him or her emotionally invested in the sale, and then giving an incentive to make the purchase today.